It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Joining me now, David Sokol, chairman and CEO of Teton Capital, LLC. Uh, his book, American Perspective, Defending the American Dream for the Next Generation. And, and I got to tell you, David, before we, we get to the uh, the next generation, welcome back to the show, by the way. Uh, I'm worried about this generation, our current situation, uh, because if we don't defend it here, the next generation is going to be even worse. Well, thank you for having me, and I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and uh, but, but I am finding that there's some hope uh, at the end of this tunnel a little bit, and that's through, through us discussing it and, and, and having a little bit of a history lesson for a lot of our millennials and, and, and uh, X generations, et cetera. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, interesting. I, I'll just briefly say I had a call yesterday with a young man, 31 years old, who said to me he he assumed that I was opposed to President Biden uh, doing away with uh, ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars in tuition debt, uh, and that he thought it was amazing. And how could I oppose it? And I said, Well, let me ask you a question. I said, Would you be fine had the president instead of doing that raised your interest rate two percent? And he said, Well, of course not. He can't do that. I said, Well, then on what basis can he do away with your debt? And the point he finally got after we talked about it is, you know, we've got a constitution and it provides certain rights to citizenry. Uh, we, the citizens, not subjects. And, uh, and that the president doesn't have the authority to do either of those things and explain, we talked about why, et cetera. And at the end of the call, he, uh, he said, gee, I really had, we glad we had this conversation. Um, and I, I think that's, that's what we have to do. And that was really the purpose of the book is to get people Back to the basics of why America is such an extraordinary meritocracy, why it has led the world in any category positively that you want to measure, um, and that we've got to stop this slow uh, movement towards authoritarianism or totalitarianism that the progressive left you know, wants to have. Uh, the point of, and I like the way you did that, right? You presented two scenarios and he made, he made a rational choice uh, he followed the called the constitution what exists the problem now uh, is that w- no matter what the issue the progressive movement in this country not just publishes the lie they promote the lie whether the numbers add up or not and tell you that this will work out this time. And it, it doesn't in any society when it comes to these, uh, these economic decisions, decisions uh, by the Fed. They use you know, terms like transitory inflation, uh, soft landing in the markets. Now, you're someone with a fairly great deal of experience in the markets. And, you know, how, how do you address this idea of a soft landing? Well, you make an important point. You know, for most of my career, um, you know, you could have disagreements between different political parties as to economic theories and things of that nature. And people, you know, from time to time would embellish their views. But this is the first presidency in my lifetime where the president and his primary uh, cabinet members will go on television and just lie. Um, and I think that's part and parcel of, of the reality that they don't feel anymore that they have any checks and balances. 
they don't respect the Supreme Court. They don't respect Congress. Um, if they don't get their way, you know, they're just going to do what they're going to do anyway. And that's that's not what our Constitution calls for. I mean, and today, you know, the economy is is on a very dangerous path. Uh, first, you you know, appropriately now that the Fed has acknowledged that this this inflation is real, they started raising rates significantly, and they're going to have to continue because uh, inflation is the most expensive tax middle and lower income people can ever be charged with. Um, but you've got a president who yesterday said we, we've got it under control. It was really only slightly different than the month before, which somehow in his mind means it's it's under control, uh, and it's not. Uh, but but on the other side of this, while the Fed is raising interest rates appropriately at this point, the the administration continues to pour fuel on the fire by spending crazily um, and, and spiraling inflation from that perspective. Um, you know, the administration should put a hold on that two trillion dollars of infrastructure spending. Um, a, they don't have a, a cabinet member that's competent to actually know how to spend it effectively and, and, and not do it through some some lens of, of, of uh, societal justice and, and instead just build bridges and dams where we need them or airports. Um, but you can't be throwing more money into the economy. You can't be uh, raising energy prices artificially and expecting the Fed to be able to control inflation purely with interest rates. So we're in a very strange, strange time. And I'm afraid that middle and lower income individuals are going to get crushed uh, going forward if we end up in a stagflation environment. And that brings me to the who uh, who pays the price, which is something that we have to be aware of. You know, put in all other things aside for the moment, but the numbers. We're seeing a remarkable shift, and not in a good way, but a remarkable shift in how people can afford to be where they are, lower rungs of the income ladder, but even middle and uh, upper income in the middle class uh, range that, depending on where they live, earnings, cost factors, uh, other decisions they have to make, their lives are becoming more difficult. It's the question of are you better off now than you were, whether it was last year, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, and and how do you see the trajectory of your life? Corresponding with that is the trajectory of various issues that result in business, uh, a lower number of business filings, business startups, uh, companies uh, that are either freezing uh, a hiring from from that perspective not expanding from a manufacturing perspective and in some cases closing wawa announcing today they're closing two more stores in philadelphia because of crime uh depending on the footprint and the hours open that's somewhere around 50 to 60 people that won't have jobs they're not going to the wawa around the corner or five ten blocks away to go back to work yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I, I mean, it's very hard to imagine that other than people that are just giving, give, getting giveaways like uh, debt, re, debt, debt forgiveness and, and handouts, it's very hard to, to think of any American today that says that they're better off today than they were uh, the day before uh, President Biden took office. Um, it, it's just it, anything you look at, whether it's energy prices uh, consumer inflation, interest rates, every aspect of our economy. What's particularly troublesome from that with the, on the number side is, and we have 31 plus trillion dollars of debt 
that has been been built up, um, which is 120 percent of our GDP. And what what these current for the last 10 years, what the administrations have been doing is basically borrowing from our grandchildren um, to give things away. And, you know, one can argue whether or not some portion of the COVID spending may have been necessary. But clearly, the last two or three trillion dollars uh, was overkill and predominantly done purely as a political measure to try and garner uh, votes. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the economy is going to we're all going to pay a price for that. Uh, you're right. I believe that the lower and middle income uh, are going to pay the, the highest uh, percentage of their income uh, in these in, in, in future taxes. Uh, whether what do you call a tax, uh, an income tax or inflation? Uh, they're both taxes. Um, and uh, and we've got a big hole to dig out of. So, you know, those that say we're not in a recession, I don't know what business they're in, but certainly the last several quarters we've seen growth go, slow dramatically uh, and, and actually negative growth. Um, and I think 2023 and 2024 under this administration are going to be a real challenge. Yeah, you know, when you factor in loss in actual value, not just currency value, but that at the core of it, uh, I'm with you. I, I've been saying this for months. You know, the the formula, the statements, the definition uh, requires a bit more context, kind of like the difference between the U3 and the U6 numbers and unemployment approach. When you really look at it or even if you uh, localize it or put it into a segment of the of the economy or a specific area of the economy, let's go to energy. And I, you know, I, I sometimes like my comparisons or my little metaphors, uh, David, so whatever you want to call it. Uh, you don't go to war with inferior weaponry. When it comes to energy and energy as a weapon, and certainly Vladimir Putin, Russia, OPEC slash Russia, which is what OPEC plus is, they use energy as a weapon. And we, in a sense are going to war in the energy sector, whatever you want to call it, war, uh, conflict, with inferior weapons by choice, when we have superior capabilities to extract, produce, to put it into a global market, a global commodity, and depress the pricing across the board. Now, there are certainly more nuances to that, but in, in a sense, we've, we, not the American people, by the way, but this administration and the progressives have made this choice irrespective of the facts, the data, the numbers. Absolutely. Um, and, and they've made it knowingly. I mean, the one reality is in, in various meetings I've sat in over the last several years, you know, the, the, the environmental progressive left you know, they would be happy with $200 a barrel oil. Um, and, and you have to remember, it's only been over the last uh, 10 or so years that they've essentially outlawed coal use in the United States. Now, we can all talk about climate change. Climate has changed since the earth was formed. Um, and, and we can argue about whether man is perpetuating or speeding up some of that change. But if, if we believe that that's the case, we have to remember that energy is the lifeblood of every economy. Nothing happens in your life that doesn't result from energy availability, whether it's driving your car, an airplane, plastics that, uh, that, you're, that various products uh, are packaged in, pharmaceuticals, everything. You can't turn a TV on without energy. <clears throat> and 
what this administration has done is decided that since they can't get consensus on whether or not we should actually develop a plan to combat climate change, they're just going to do it piecemeal. And their first target is let's wipe out the fossil fuel industry. Well, that's interesting, but don't you think you should have a plan beyond that? <laughs> and there is no plan. You know, putting, putting plug-ins on the interstate for potential electric vehicles without even beginning to have a plan to provide the electricity to those plug-ins throughout our grid system um, is about the dumbest thing you could do. And so they're just approaching this in a way where they're going to bludgeon the American people, but, but they haven't reached agreement with China or India or Russia or the African continent or most of Europe on exactly what the plan is to get there. And if only America follows this um, no fossil fuel plan with no, with no plan to replace it, uh, we're going to bankrupt our economy and not do a thing for climate change. So it's, it's, it's just this religious zeal to head in a direction without a plan. And it, and it's crazy. Um, I, you know, I don't know anybody that I've spent my career in the energy sector. I don't know anyone in the energy sector that believes what's currently going on has any chance of either uh, solving climate change or not bankrupting America. Um, you know, you have to develop, you know, you're talking about changing the entire world's economy. And yet we think we can do it with speeches and, and uh, anecdotes. It's, it's, it's crazy, and it's going to cost everybody a lot of money. Going a little bit further with energy and the importance of it, and I, I'm thinking back to when uh, T. Boone Pickens and uh, others, but he was one of the primary leaders of this, uh, and tried to encourage other European nations. And we're talking about a global commodity when it comes to energy in many ways. Uh, and he tried to encourage them to build reliquification plants, to expand their capacities, to refine, and that didn't happen. So here we are today. The Baltic pipeline opens, I believe, 13 days from now officially, and that may give some relief to, you know, it comes into Poland and Denmark, so what that can be used as a, a counter to Putin, to what extent, we'll see uh, what happens there. But, you know, we haven't grown our infrastructure, refining capacity. Uh, why, why haven't we? And not that politics aren't a part of it, but for decades, we've done a bad job on our own while we have the capability to do much better. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, if you, if you think about natural gas, T. Bloom Pickens had an, an amazing foresight into the value of natural gas as an energy, energy source and particularly as a transition energy source, if, in fact, we need to move away from CO2 production. <clears throat> the bulk of the reduction in CO2 emissions in the United States have resulted from shifting from coal-fired power plants to natural gas-fired <clears throat> power plants. And there's an example where if we actually had a long-term plan and would, would spend the money on proper infrastructure pursuant to a plan, you could have a glide slope where over the next 50 or 60 years, you move from fossil fuel-based energy to renewables and, and, and ultimately nuclear, because it's really the only energy source that has long-term capabilities of no CO2 and baseload capacity. You can certainly augment it with renewables. 
but you have to have a plan. And with this administration, they have no plan. It is, uh, well, today, for instance, we, we could be producing 2 million barrels of oil equivalent more than, than America is. So instead of trying to go and make, and make friends with Venezuela, Iran, or, or to cajole OPEC, we should be producing the energy ourselves. It makes, you know, the, the, where that barrel of oil is produced doesn't change the CO2 content of it and uh, uh, from a mission standpoint. And so this administration's only strategy is to basically allow us to run out of fossil fuel availability, drive the price as high as possible, which will force people to look, then look for alternatives. But that's not a plan. And, you know, that's economic insanity. Yeah, so I, it, I just, it's, it, a, it's, it's more than insanity. Right. It's the infrastructure death. isn't there. No, it isn't. But, you know, to the point of death, we're going into winter. Their plan, whether through natural disaster or otherwise or winter, right, things that naturally happen, would literally cost lives. If people are unable to fuel their life, to use that term, being pushed to use something that is not available when needed, we're talking about life. We're talking about business. We're talking about the real world. And these politicians or policymakers are disconnected, deliberate, or flat-out lying because of ideology. No, well, that's right. I mean, you, you don't see groups of lower-income or middle-income people being invited to Davos to discuss our energy future. You don't see the White House inviting those people in to understand their monthly costs, whether it's home heating, et cetera. I mean, driving up uh, oil prices for the, and natural gas prices, for those people that heat their home, whether it's with electricity, natural gas, propane, or, nat- or, 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 or fuel oil, they're going to be paying a significant increase this winter, as they did for, for, for a good portion of last winter, and for no benefit. There's nothing happening other than they're going to spend more for their heating. So how, how is that plan that the White House has, has endorsed of, of basically forcing energy prices higher how has that resulted in anything positive for those individuals? It hasn't. I mean, at least at least if you had a carbon tax, you could take that money and actually build nuclear plants or alternatives with it. The increase that every American is going to be paying this winter and for a lot of winters to come on increased energy is going to Saudi Arabia or Iran or Venezuela or other oil-producing countries, some of it fortunately staying with our energy companies, but less and less all the time. Yeah, I, I will never be able to understand, condone. Matter of fact, it strikes me to my core that we would actually engage in trade for communist crude out of Venezuela. But a uh, story for another time. David, uh, long overdue. Good to have you back here. And I really appreciate your input. Well, anytime. Thanks for having me. David Sokol, chairman and CEO of Teton Capital, uh, LLC. His book, America in Perspective, Defending the American Dream for the Next Generation. You can join me live on The David Webb Show, Monday to Friday, 9 to noon East, on Sirius XM Patriot 125.